0: Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Chad Randall at Life Story Church. We are a grassroots church located in the heart of the Bellevue community in Nashville, Tennessee. Our services are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. and Wednesdays, 7 p.m. Central Time. We would love for you to join us. Now here's Pastor Chad Randall. We've got an awesome uh, presentation for you tonight. It's a study that I'm truly excited to bring you guys. If you're in the Life Story Church family page, uh, you know that I shared earlier that I I was really hoping you guys would tune in tonight because uh, I'm excited about what the Lord has got for us tonight. Because as I was preparing this message, um, you know how it is when you read the Word of God and it, it... it always comes alive, but there are certain times when, when your mind is just opened up to seeing things in a different way. This is one of those messages. So uh, I hope you're tuning in tonight. Uh, if, if you're uh, uh, sharing it, share it to uh, anybody that you think might be interested in the, the topic of the end times or the study of Revelation. Because tonight we're going to be studying, and if I can see that sermon graphic, tonight we're going to be studying this. We're going to be studying Revelation chapter 6, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and we're going to be taking them, uh, I, I don't know if we're exactly going to be taking them one horse at a time, but we're going to be studying that white horse rider predominantly tonight. That's going to be our main goal uh, and focus this evening. Eva's excited about that. She's giving me the fist pump right now. Excellent. Excellent. You know, church, are we entering, are we entering the period of history that the Bible speaks about more than any other period throughout history? You know, I think we are. You know, many people throughout the course of history have asked themselves that same question. Many over the even just the past few decades, more recently, have asked themselves if we're even seeing the seals of revelation being opened up and unveiled before our very aisle, uh, before our very eyes. So are we? Are we? You know that's going to be the focus of this study through chapter six and then seven as well, uh, and, they, and as we move forward through chapter eight. Uh, so in response to that question, though, are we seeing? Are we, are, are we living through the period of history that the Bible speaks about more than any other period of history, and or are we seeing seals opened up before our very eyes? Would it be okay with you if I answered that question by saying, yes, no, and maybe— Yes, no, and maybe, all three. Uh, you probably want more concrete answers than that, though, don't you? I'm, I'm sure you do. I don't blame you. Uh, so let me explain, let me explain, uh, as, we, as we study tonight, why the answer is to that question, yes, no, and maybe, as well. Church, as we speak right now, and this may be part of why I so wanted all of our church family to be tuning in tonight, so uh, if you through this t- this evening's broadcast is if you see people in our church family that are not tuned into this, share it to them, okay, or if you have a family member or a loved one that needs to hear this. That you know are not tuned in this, uh, tuned into this tonight. Share this video from the Facebook live stream, or from the YouTube page, or whatever it is, or share the the uh, uh, Spotify, uh, the Spotify, or the iTunes uh, uh, podcast, or whatever you call it. Share that stuff, guys, because as we're meeting today, tonight, right now. World leaders are meeting in Switzerland right now. Can I see this first graphic, Evangeline? Thank you. World leaders are meeting right now in Davos, Switzerland. And you know what they're talking about? They're at the World Economic Forum. It's from the 25th through the 29th. And today is uh, January 27th, 2021. They are talking about a new world order, as some would say, in 1984 on steroids. If you've never read that book, I encourage you to read that book. Uh, When it was written, many people, uh, you know, anybody who read that book, it was a fantasy. They couldn't imagine the world ever being in that state, but yet here we are. So why is it relevant to us today that these world leaders are meeting in Davos, Switzerland right now? Well, tonight I'll just mention a few things that they're discussing. You know, I don't want to get into too much because we may end up doing it on uh, Sunday as well, depending on how long, when did I get here tonight? But, you know, one thing that they're talking about is a great monetary reset. And I don't know how uh, studied you are in eschatology or end time prophecy, but that's a significant thing for all of the leaders of the world right now to be uh, discussing in Davos, Switzerland. So a one world currency is being discussed, Uh, a great transfer of wealth via climate change initiatives and regulations that will ultimately pass expenses onto the middle class or the upper middle class average people, average Americans, thusly transferring wealth from most of you, get this, get this, transferring wealth from most of you to them so that they can help the planet, so that they can help The poor, because they are so righteous, not necessarily you, right? As a matter of fact, can I see this next graphic? Billionaire, just the day before yesterday, not yesterday, but the day before, billionaire Mark Benioff, who made his billions off of capitalism, ironically enough, said this. He said, capitalism as we have known it is dead, this obsession that we have with maximizing profits for shareholders alone has led to incredible inequality and planetary and a planetary emergency. Well, thank you. Thank you, billionaire Mark Benioff, to let us know that capitalism is dead and capitalism is to blame. Adding this, uh, the president of France, Macron, he said this. Can I see this next graphic? He said this. Capitalism as we know it can no longer work. So as we know it, it can no longer work. You know, I don't know what you guys think, but it seems to me that it's been working pretty good over the last four years. I think it's been capitalism. It's been working pretty good over the last four years and certainly uh, it has been working pretty well since uh, its founding, a free market, let's be real here guys, a free market. Has only created the wealthiest nation in the history of the world, thus creating the greatest exporter of charity and the greatest exporter of Christianity in the history of the world. That's this capitalism in this United States of America that they say is dead and can no longer continue to go on. Church. <laughs> But you see here that they would rather handle all of that charity all of that exporting of whatever is exported they would rather handle that than you poor little serfs considering that you are largely you are largely small-minded you are largely in their view greedy and you are largely in their mind racist at least that's the message that they want to communicate. Those are the talking points, those are the straw men that they want to set up so they can justify stealing democracy, stealing your wealth. So you know if you've ever studied if you've ever studied governments of the world, you'll understand that what they're really trying to create is an oligarchy. An oligarchy is simply this, where very few have the power and business is truly partnered with government. There is no business, small or large, that is separate from government. Government regulates and business is good with it. They get rich, they get rich, and where is, where is the small businessman? Where is you, right? Well, you're not a part of the equation because you're small-minded, you're a bigot, you're, you're not to be trusted with your own charity, uh, and you're certainly... Racist if they need you to be. So (laughs) that's where we are. That's what's happening right now. Those are the discussions that are being had in Davos, Switzerland. Those are quotes that are being pumped out of that meeting right now. And considering the year that we've had, guys, our economy and with our economy and civil liberties being uh, attacked and surrendered to a lab-engineered demonic virus, it's a real virus, yes, it was. Was it engineered in a lab? There's far too much evidence now to say that it wasn't. Yes, it was. They think that because of all of this, they think that we are prime for the picking. Are you prime for the picking? They think we are. Justin Trudeau said this, uh, I think he said it ba- best when he said this a few weeks back. Can we see that, this next one, this graphic? He said, this is our chance. This is our chance to do everything that we've been talking about at our Davos meetings, the Great Reset, it's now we've got to do it. We, this is our chance. The, the, the global economy is down, the United States, the people of the United States have surrendered their economy willingly because of the, the fear propaganda. They've willingly surrendered their economy. They've willingly surrendered their civil liberties. When will we ever have a chance like this again? And they openly speak this way, church. Oh my goodness. So they might as well go for it. They might as well go for it. And while they're at it, while they're at it, You know, uh, they peddle a vaccine for lab-created virus that they magically came up with in one year's time when it normally takes—you've got to understand this, church—it normally takes 10 years. That's the protocol. If you want to have a vaccine for anything— the regulation has typically been 10 years. Why? Because you've got to come up with the vaccine. That takes a while. Then you've got to test it and test it and test it. But typically before a vaccine ever hits the market, it takes 10 years. Yet somehow magically here in 10 months, 10 months time, they've got a vaccine. It's a miracle. It's magic, isn't it? It's not as, look, I could go full conspiracy theory here and I'm not going to. All right. I'm Typically, more of a skeptic. So, when I hear a conspiracy theory, there is that big part of me that's the huge skeptic. Just like when I watch uh, Fox, uh, well, sadly, Fox News now, but uh, CNN, MSNBC, all of the ABC, CBS, I watch the news, I watch it as a skeptic. I just always have. So, I watch it as a skeptic, you know. I've always been hesitant to be a, a Republican or a Democrat. My dad always said that he was independent. You know, nowadays that might mean libertarian or whatever my dad would say, independent. And that just always stuck with me from a young age. I don't know, just, you know, I just have a hard time uh, believing that believing people that promise you something year after year after year election cycle after election cycle they promise you something promise you something then they never deliver it never deliver it. it doesn't matter what side of the aisle it is it's coming from and then and then all the while the world completely continues to move towards this one world order or global whatever we're seeing happen before our eyes right now so here we've got on top of all of this we've got Trudeau saying we 've got Trudeau saying, "This is our time, this is our chance right at the same time they ro- because of the the virus has caused the U- the United States to to uh, uh, fall in such a way, the economy to fall, the people are giving up their civil liberties it 's time to it 's time now let 's do it this is our chance at the same time they 're rolling out this vaccine. This vaccine that normally takes ten years call me crazy if i 'm for being a skeptic if I think maybe they had the vaccine before i don 't know maybe they were just waiting, but in any case, you know i don 't know about you, but i don 't want to take a vaccine that has Bill and Melinda Gates as an advocate two people, two people who have famously called for population control i don 't are you hearing this for the first time maybe i don 't know, but these are two people. I'm telling you, you Google it. Use Google and you'll find all of the headlines making excuses that make it sound wonderful. But then if you actually watch the videos, these people are actually calling for population control as a means to control uh, health crises in Africa. Well, you know, here's the thing is if we had less people, we'd have less sick people. What? Population control as, as, a, as an answer to poverty. You know what? If we had fewer people, then we'd have less poverty. In what mind is that a good plan to solve problems? You know what? Gosh, we've got a bunch of sick people. You know what? I guess if we killed them, then we wouldn't have as many sick people, right? How about this? We'll just kill them before they're born. That way they'll never get sick. You know what? That'd be great. Forgive me. If I don't want to take a a, a vaccine that has those two as the poster child advocating for the virus. Oh my gosh. So, all of that being said, all of that being said, it's understandable that some of you might, might be thinking that this might be it. Are we entering the period of history that the Bible speaks of more than any other time any other period, period. Are we seeing the seals of revelation being opened? Some, some people go as far as to say, or to ask, are we seeing the seals of revelation being opened? So let's get to it. Are you ready? I, I, don't, I can't see it, but I'm hoping that some people are giving, Eva's giving me a thumbs up. Are you ready? How about you guys online? Are you ready? Somebody say, amen, let's get to it. I love it. So, tonight we're studying the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. So, can we go back to that uh, sermon title tile just for dramatic effect? Can we do that? Not to throw you off stream here, Eva, thank you. And you guys who are just listening online, bear with me on the podcast. You know, the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse is a study of uh, Revelation chapter 6. There is no way around it. It's an incredible study. Before we do that, though... Uh, Let me say this. Let me paint it in this way. Uh, This is going to be part one. We're not going to get to all four horses tonight. So if that's your goal, I want to wipe that off the map. So if you feel like, boy, this is going a long time and we're not getting to horse, the other horses yet, understand this is a series. Okay. So uh, get your notepad ready because we're going to study tonight. If you're not here to study tonight, uh, you, I mean, maybe you want to tune back in later when you've got your mind when you're calm and you want it, cause we're going to study tonight. You guys ready to study? Come on now. All right. So before we head out on a trip, on a vacation as a family, I know we put the luggage rack on the roof, right? I've got to make sure that I get the oil changed, right? And then when we're rolling out, we go get gas and then we go get coffee and we get snacks, Right. That's what we do whenever, wherever our little crew is rolling out to, that's what we got. There are certain things that we have to do before we head out on the journey. So uh, if we don't, if we don't stop and get gas and snacks, we're not going to get very far, right? So what I want you guys to understand is when we're studying Revelation chapter 6, we can't just like open up Revelation chapter 6 and just read it and expect to understand it. We've got to go get our gas and snacks first, okay? Well, context is everything. Context is our gas and snacks as we travel through Revelation. So I'm going to begin tonight in Zechariah, not Revelation chapter 6. I'm going to begin in Zechariah chapter 1 verse 7 through 11 if you'll join me. So here we are, verse 7. On the 24th day of the 11th month, so understanding this, this would be six days before the new year. Uh, It would either be six days before the day of kings on the uh, creation calendar, or it would be uh, six days before uh, Yom Teruah, which would, uh, you know, uh, which is the, the religious calendar. On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Ido, the prophet. Verse 8, I saw by night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse, on a red horse, and it stood among the myrtle trees in the hollows, and behind him were horses, red, sorrel, and whites. Verse 9, Then I said, My Lord, what are these? So the angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. Verse 10, and the man who stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, these are the ones whom the Lord has sent to walk to and fro through the earth. Do you get that? Don't let that be lost on you. This is our context. Verse 11, so they answered the angel of the Lord who stood among the myrtle trees and said, we have walked to and fro throughout the earth and behold, all the earth is resting quietly So, why do I start here? What I just say, context is everything. We won't get far without context. This idea of horsemen roaming the earth is not new. It's not as new and strange as it sounds. If you're just a New Testament Christian and you don't study the entire counsel of God, uh, you come to Revelation I'm telling you, you will never understand Revelation if you don't understand Daniel. Just don't bother with Revelation until you have read Daniel, and for that matter, Ezekiel, and for that matter, Isaiah. But at least read Daniel before you move into Revelation, okay? This is not a new concept. It's not a weird thing, idea, that there are horsemen. This is not a new spiritual concept that is coming to us out of the blue, the Lord has told us already thousands of years, hundreds of years before a uh, revelation was even given to the uh, John the revelator that horses roam the earth, okay? So it's not a new spiritual concept. What God what we need to understand is what God has done before he uses as a model for what he will do again. Time and time again, and this is what we call type and shadow. I referenced this on this past Sunday's message, and you know we got into a little deeper waters than we typically do on Sunday mornings. But thankfully, we've got we've got the the crew crew to do the oaring, right? Uh, the church body that that can lift the weight, or whatever you want to say. But this is not a new, a new concept. What God has done before, type and shadow, he will do it again. Why? So that you know that it's him. So that you know that it's him. Because why? Because he wants you to know that it's him. It matters to him that you know that it's him. Why? Because my sheep hear my voice. My sheep Hear my voice, don't we? Don't we know that? And there's, we'll talk about that as the uh, spring feast come up in, in March and whatnot. My sheep know my voice. He wants us to know that it's him. So that's your oil, that's your gas. Here's your snack. Are you ready? Because I'm gonna I'm moving quick tonight because I want to get into this stuff. Here's your snack. We got the gas. There's precedent. There's context. Let's move into the next part. Matthew chapter 24, verse 33 through 30. I'm going to read a bunch of scriptures to you, but I'm going to do it fast to try to keep up, all right? Verse 3, now he sat on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming? at the end of the age. And that word age there, we have to understand in the Greek is the word eon. It truly means the end of an eon, an age, okay? It's not just like, what's going to happen in 1965, uh, uh, or what's going to happen in 1834? What's going to happen in this next generation that's typically 70 years for the Jews? No, 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 no. This is an eon. This truly means at the end of everything, the whole end of the age, guys. And so, they're asking him, what's going to happen at at the end of the world, you have to understand verse 4 and Jesus answered and said to them Jesus answered and said to them take heed that no one deceives you <laughs> for as verse 5 for as many will come in my name for many will come in my name saying i am the messiah Under, in, important to understand that that word christ jesus christ is messiah in the hebrew that means the, the promised one who will come and bring deliverance so i am the messiah and will deceive many Verse 6, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. Isn't that encouraging for us today? If you're worried about certain things today with what we're seeing in the world. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. So this is set up now, guys. This is set up. He's telling us that what we're about to read is going to happen But it's not the end yet. So don't think that just because you see these things happening that it's the end. It's not the end yet, important words, okay? Verse 7, for nation will rise against nation. That word nation in the Greek is the word ethnos. That's where we get our word ethnic. In other words, we're saying, uh, the Lord is saying, ethnic group will rise against ethnic group. Are we seeing that today across the globe? Are you kidding me with all the race-baiting that these Davos people are doing? Come on now. What the media is doing to our nation? If anybody is guilty uh, of the the racial tension in this nation, it's the media. They want to put it on Trump. They want to put it on me. They want to put it on you. They want to put it on white privilege, right? Don't they? Well. (laughs) I'm just, I've got news for you guys that there has been racial tensions between different tribes throughout the history of the world. You know that before the, uh, the white man even came to America, that the, the Native American tribes were killing each other for territory. The Cherokee warring against other tribes. Okay. Uh, the Kiowa, the Cree, the Cherokee, the Sioux, they all warred against each other for territory. This is nothing new. All right, but they want to say that it's all—it's all just a narrative, guys. All right, so uh, for nation, nation, let's go back to the scripture. Nation, ethnos will rise against nation, ethnic group against ethnic group, and kingdom against kingdom, <clears throat> and there will be. Now, here's where I want you to pay attention, guys, because this is where it comes in as relevant to Revelation chapter six. Famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places, okay? Pay attention to this. Verse eight, all these are the beginnings of sorrows. And sorrows, the better translation of that is birth pains, okay? Agony that comes when giving birth. And, and it's important that we understand the birth pains because that's so symbolic as far as how God tells us what will happen what signs we'll see in the stars and the heavens before he comes. We'll see these signs of birth in the sky. We'll see these birth pains on the earth. But what happens when a woman is in travail, right? The, the, the uh, uh, contractions, they come quicker and quicker and quicker. You have a contraction, then you don't. You wait a minute, right? You wait a few minutes, then you have another one. But as you get closer to birth, you travail more frequently, okay? So it's uh, as in birth, shall it sh- so shall it be. All of these are the beginnings of birth birth pains that will happen as we see one, another one will fall, a domino will fall, and then they'll all keep falling more quickly, more rapidly. Verse 9, then then they will deliver you up to tribulation, which is not the tribulation, that word is better translated as persecution, and kill you. <clears throat> and you will be hated by all ethnic groups, nations, for my name's sake. Let me ask you this, church. Who is he speaking to here? Remember, just a few ver- verses back, who's he speaking to? <sighs> yes, there is encouragement for you and I as we read this scripture and we look around the world and we say, boy, that looks relevant to us, right? And we can be encouraged. Yes, there's encouragement for us here, okay? Okay. But he is speaking to the disciples. It was the 12 disciples that came to him and asked him, Lord, what will it be like at the end of the world, at the end of the eon? And he continues to speak here. And who are they? When he says you, he's speaking to the disciples. He's speaking to Jews. He's speaking to Israel. Remember, this mirrors, Matthew chapter 24 mirrors Revelation chapter 6. This is the time of Jacob's trouble. And, you know, regardless of what replacement theologists want to tell you, if I'm speaking to you and you're uh, a Gentile believer and not Jewish, you are not Israel. Now, you have been grafted in by faith into the promise of Abraham, by faith, the man of faith, but your blood is not Jewish. You're not a Jew. Okay, so these speaking to Jewish men about the time of Jacob's trouble that can't be lost on us, especially if we're going to understand Matthew 24 as it parallels to Revelation chapter six. Let's keep reading. Verse 10, and then many will be offended. (laughs) That's hilarious. Are we there yet? It feels like we're there. I mean, thick skin is on short supply these days. It feels like many will be offended. Many will betray one another and will hate one another. Verse 11, then many false false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Feels like it, right? Verse 13, but he who what endures to the end shall be saved. The end of what? What? The end of what? Again, important to understand who he's talking to. The end of tribulation. He's speaking to Jewish men about the time of Jacob's trouble. Seven year period that deals with Israel. But those who, those who endure until the end of it, they will be saved. Verse 14 then. And this gospel of the kingdom that it's a government and we're ambassadors. And Paul really, really carried that torch, didn't he? This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. And I've got to say that I think this idea of capitalism has really carried that torch further into this world than it could have ever been accomplished before People question whether or not God was at the founding of the United States of America. I, First of all, give me an hour and I'll explain to you how he was and show you different ways that he was. But if for no other reason, it's this point that the gospel would be preached into all the world. We are the leading exporter of charity in the whole world. You think that God... Didn't found the United States of America? We are the leading exporter of the gospel in the history of the world. The Roman roads did great to spread the gospel in the first century, but nobody has done a better job than the United States of America to spread the gospel to India, into uh, Japan, into Asia, everywhere. Globally, South America, Africa, everywhere. Church, come on now. That's it. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached into all the world as a witness to the nations. And then, and then, go back to the text, and then the end will come, it says. Then the end will come. Then the end will come. Verse 15, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. This is important, church, okay? Okay. This is important, okay? This is important. Come back to me. Because the Antichrist, okay, here he says everything that's going to happen. And then he says in verse 15, therefore, therefore, when you see the abomination, so who's going to see the abomination? Israel is going to see it. So he's saying, therefore, when you see it, the abomination of desolation spoken of by Israel, Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. He, whoever reads this, let him understand. We talked about this uh, uh, all the way back in Christmas time, right? When we studied Daniel chapter 5 and so on, and 9 and 11 in the springtime. It's important to understand because, in the context of Revelation, the Antichrist does not show up until Revelation chapter 13. Okay? So, paralleling, we're reading a lot, Jesus' own words. the disciples saying what's going to happen when they asked it parallels chapter 6 okay don't let this be lost on you so the Antichrist saying then so up until this point a bunch of things happen then this happens let that do a framework of your expectations as we study Revelation okay the Antichrist doesn't show up until Revelation chapter 13 the elders are in the throne room the elders are in the throne room by chapter 4 if you remember as we studied a couple weeks ago They're in the throne room. He is now speaking of a mid-tribulation event just before the great tribulation, the last three and a half years of the tribulation period that Daniel spoke of, John saw in Revelation and and elsewhere. Verse 16, let's keep going. Then those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. 17, let him who is on the housetop not go to take anything out of his house and let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. Verse 19, but woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days and pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. This is important. Why? Again, it's making the same point. Who, who is he speaking to? Who is he speaking to? Okay, who, who is it uh, that keeps the Sabbath? He's speaking to Sabbath keepers, isn't he? That's who keeps the Sabbath. Jewish people. Verse 21. Let's keep going. For then there will be great tribulation. Okay? So when that point hits, the Antichrist point hits, he says, just get out. Okay? Just get out at that point. Okay? Because... There will be tribulations such as has never been seen since the beginning of the world. Until this time, no, nor ever shall be again. Verse twenty-two. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, for those days will be shortened. For the elect's sake, for the for the uh, Jewish people, for their sake, it will be shortened. Verse twenty-three. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, the Messiah, or there, do not believe it, verse 24, for false messiahs and false prophets will rise and show great signs, they'll do magic, deceiving wonders, wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect would be deceived. Verse 25, see, I have told you beforehand, he loves to do that for us, doesn't he? Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. Verse 27, for as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will be the coming of the, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. This is an idiom. We talk about this every fall, right? Many of you are familiar with this idea. If you're a part of Life Story Church, or if you're a studier of end-time prophecy, this is an idiom that points to the feast of trumpets. As lightning is seen from the east to the west, the beginning of the civil year, as they spot the, the new moon in the sky, the twinkling of an eye, that moment, and the torches run east and west, we know it's an idiom, okay? So it leads me to believe that the second coming, church, and maybe this is a new nugget for some of you, it leads me to believe that the second coming will be on Yom Teruah, Okay? Beginning the end. Beginning a series of the last three feasts being prophetically fulfilled. I don't know. But this doesn't mean that he can't also return for his bride on the same day, as we've also studied. Verse 28. Let's go. Verse 28. We're trying to hurry through this. Verse 28. For wh- what, wherever the carcass is, There the eagles will be gathered. A lot of speculation on that verse. I don't have time to get into. Verse 29, immediately after, right? This is what I want to get to before we move into Revelation 6. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven will be shaken. Pay attention to this. Everything that we have read that Jesus would happen before the mid trib point and then after he gave it to the disciples. Okay. If you don't understand that, so much is going to be lost on you reading Revelation chapter six. Okay. So here we are the sun will be darkened. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. Blood moon. Right. The stars will fall from heaven lot of interpretation on that, whether it's physical or stars being, uh, uh, you know, angelic forces, and the powers of heaven will be shaken, verse 30, then the sign, then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then, then, all these words are just small uh, words for us, transitional words for us, they're so important, because mm. then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power, and they'll see him with great glory. And thusly, and th- there it is, the second coming is complete. Jesus tells after this, Jesus goes on to tell the parable of the fig tree to offer timing of when these events will offer, or offer timing of when these events will happen in relation to uh, Israel. And what I believe is the rebirth of the prophetic third kingdom of Israel that happened in 1948 as a timepiece for God's prophetic timetable. So when should we expect these things? Well, the first thing that we need is Israel, right? Well, that happened in 1948, okay? And it's been just about a generation now since that happened. So we should be paying attention, all right? Now look, that is the fastest I have ever gone through Matthew chapter 24, so I hope you're proud of me, but we've got to get our gas and snacks before we get into Revelation or we're not going to understand what's going on or what we're talking about, okay? So understand all of that context. Understand what Jesus said they should expect in the end, and now John is taken up He's taken up into the throne room of God in Revelation chapter 4. He's in the throne room throughout chapter 4, okay? Then through chapter 5, we studied that two weeks ago. He's seeing all these different things and then then the scroll is presented. Who can open the scroll, right? But then Jesus appears to open the scroll and that finds us right here in Revelation chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, and the four horsemen of the apocalypse come onto the scene. This idea that has been so uh, uh, powerfully presented in art and literature uh, throughout uh, our history, really, since it's uh, the writing of this, since the John received the vision, we've had paintings and movies and everything else about this idea. Here it is, the four horsemen of the apocalypse about to step onto the stage. Here they are. Revelation chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Let's read. Now, I saw when the lamb opened one. Of the seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder. Don't let that be lost on you. Like thunder. Underline that if you're following along in your Bible or you're taking notes. Come and see. Come and see. Verse 2. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer who is this guy <laughs> let's take it apart are you ready what's this going to look like guys this is this is future prophecy that we're hoping to understand that Jesus has given John for us okay the white horse rider the first thing that we need to understand I've studied this a lot so uh, you know I don't Pretend to have, you know, the ultimate understanding and everything else. On, uh, I'm not the end all be all of interpretation, right? But from what I've studied, if you trust my study and how I've laid it out to you guys, I do not believe that the white horse rider is Jesus. I don't, okay dominionists believe it's jesus a lot of other cult theologies say this is jesus this is jesus he's coming and he's going to lay waste to the world and we just got to get the world ready for jesus to come slay all the enemies and this and that look during the tribulation okay jesus is in heaven first point jesus is in heaven with the body with the church, okay? We're looking on from, from uh, the balcony and Jesus is with the church. We spent two different weeks studying chapter four and five. The church is in the throne room and Jesus is in the throne room, okay? Uh, he continues as the chief intercessor for those who are on earth during the tribulation period. The rider of the white horse, he has a bow, but he has no arrows, Okay. Now, this is interesting because a bow is symbolic in many of our cultures of a covenant, okay? Many times, Indian tribes, especially here in North America, Indian tribes, when they would come together and make peace with each other, the chiefs of each uh, a tribe would come together, and as they met, they would bury their bows under the ground to symbolize peace, okay? So, uh, it's symbolic of a covenant, so that's interesting. But he's got no arrows, arrows, arrows. So, you know, a lot of teachers suggest that this could indicate, you know, deception. Like, he's got a bow, and he's riding, he's got a bow, but, but he has no power in the bow because there's no arrows to shoot. And that's what most people teach. So then they suggest that, well, he must be the Antichrist because he's deceptive, right? Well let's just keep going. Let's keep looking at what we have about this guy, okay? He has got no crown because a crown was given to him. Verse 2 said, And I looked, and behold, a white horse, he who sat on it, had a bow, and a crown was given to him. It was given. He didn't have it. It was given to him, okay? So a lot of people think, you know, well, that was given to him, so he hasn't earned authority at this point, okay? But there's more to this, and I'm going to come back around to this, okay? Okay? Also, let's keep reading. Hold this verse. What did he do? He went out to uh, conquering and to conquer, right? So the writer hasn't conquered yet because he's going out to conquer. So hold that. Put a pin in that too. Fifth point on this guy right off the bat. The scriptures always describe Jesus as having a two-edged sword, never a bow and arrow. This is not Jesus, guys. Okay? So I don't know what teaching you've heard on this. You know, we all come from different de- denominational backgrounds. So if you're coming from one where you believe this was Jesus, this is not Jesus. All right? So who is this guy? Who is this guy? Most Popular. The most popular teaching is is that this is the Antichrist. This has got to be the Antichrist, and if it's not Jesus, it's got to be the Antichrist, right? So because he's got a bow but no arrows, so that's deceptive. If he's deceptive and he's riding a white horse, it must be uh, the Antichrist, and he's coming out to begin his uh, satanic assignment. That's what he's doing, right? Well, this rider. As he goes out, he doesn't actually cause war, but he prepares the way for the next seal. So that makes a little bit of sense, right? We have an issue though. We have an issue though with this, okay? Jesus released him when he broke the seal. (laughs) Is Satan one of God's angels that he sends out? Is the Antichrist one of his horsemen that he sends out? Is the Antichrist one of the horsemen that roam the earth in Ezekiel all the way back to the beginning of tonight's message? God plainly portrays the Antichrist to John and Daniel as a beast. If this were the Antichrist, then, wouldn't blasphemy be written on him or something like that? Wouldn't he clearly define him as that man? Who He's clearly defined the Antichrist throughout Scripture. Why would he not describe him as the Antichrist here. You know, I just for me I personally I just I doubt that it would be ambiguous. I do. You know, he's never spared the Antichrist dignity in the past. Why would he spare him now? So let's make some observations here, okay? Uh, I want you to notice something exceptional about this horseman. Okay. He is announced, he is announced with a voice like thunder. Can I go back and look at Revelation chapter 1, Can, uh, or chapter 6, verse 1? Can we look at that? Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures, which we talked about last two weeks ago, saying with earth, yeah, whatever, <laughs> in chapters 4 or 5, saying with a voice, what? Like thunder, come and see, right? So this is exceptional, compared to the other horsemen that we're about to learn about next week, okay? He's announced with a voice like thunder. thunder. None of the other horsemen are announced with a voice like thunder. According to the Bible, when do you hear a voice like thunder? Throughout the scripture, think about it for a second. When do you typically hear a voice like thunder? Well, in John chapter 12, verse 28 through 29, we read this, Father, glorify your name. Glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore the people who stood by and heard it said that it, what? Thundered. It thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. My goodness. Well, there's more than that, guys. I don't have time to get through all this scripture tonight, so let me just read off a few for you guys. The Lord thundered from heaven. Second Samuel chapter twenty-two, fourteen. Take some notes and look these up on your own. Okay, if you're really doing this study for real. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered His voice. Then in Revelation chapter fourteen, Revelation chapter fourteen, verse two reads and I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters and like like the voice of many uh, and like the voice of thunder excuse me and I heard the sounds of the harpists playing their harps and in 1 Samuel chapter 7 verse 10 now Samuel was offering up the burnt offering and the Philistines drew near to the battle against the, against Israel but the Lord thundered with a loud thunder, with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. Guys, come on now, here, hear me now. Just having a white horse can't single you out as being the Antichrist, can it? Surely not. Jesus himself rides in on a white horse in Revelation chapter 19. But this poor guy... This poor guy gets singled out as the Antichrist because he's the first to come onto the scene on a white horse. I don't think he's the Antichrist. So who is he? Well, that bow he has is not a rainbow. He's not Jesus, right? He doesn't say Iris. It's not, it would be grammatically incorrect to say Iris and say he's Jesus. The bow... In scripture, and this is so cool, I hope you're enjoying this, the bow in scripture is symbolic of a man's strength. That's it. Genesis chapter 49, again, I'm going to give you a few scriptures because we don't have time to go through, so if you're a student of the Word and you're here with us tonight, write these scriptures down as I move through them, okay? Genesis chapter 49 Verse 23 and 24 reads, "...the archers have bitterly grieved him, shot at him, and hated him. But his bow remained in strength." His bow remained in strength. "...and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob." David then said of Jonathan in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 22, From the blood of the sane, slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back. Mm. The sword of Saul did not return empty. And then Jeremiah uh, chapter 49, verse 35 reads, Thus saith the, Lord, saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will break the bow of Elam, Break their strength. will break their strength, the foremost of their might. The bow of Elam is their might. There it is, the bow is the might. God said he would break their bow. That is, he would break the foremost of their might. And I'll give you one more. Hosea chapter one, verse five. It shall come to pass in that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel, the valley of Armageddon. He'll break their bow. That is to say, God would break Israel's might and power in the valley of Jezreel. So where does the bow come from? Who gives the bow to this white horse rider? He's got a bow. He's been sent, right? Zechariah, I've got this one for you. Zechariah chapter 10, verse 3 through 4. Let's read it. What happens? For the Lord of hosts will visit his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them as his royal horse in the battle. From him comes the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler together. The Lord gives the battle bow, church. The Lord gives it. And so, in the hand of the rider of the white horse is a bow for the purpose of conquest, that he might go out conquering to conquer, it says. Remember? Conquering to conquer. Well, before we get to that, he's also, a crown is given to him, right? He's got a bow, and he's given a crown. He's given a bow, he's given strength from the Lord, and he's given a crown from the Lord. So he's not a ruler. He doesn't already have his own crown, right? We already mentioned that a minute ago. Well, interestingly enough, there are two Greek words that are translated as crown into our English. The first is the word Stephanos, and the second is diadem. We've heard that before. Diadem comes in the dreams uh, when we talk uh, when we get into our study of Christmas time, right? The dreams uh, coming out of Syria and Cyrus and everything else, right? A diadem is a word for truly a king's crown. Stephanos is different, though. Stephanos is a wreath. Stephanos is just like a wreath that was worn by a champion or a prize given to somebody who won a contest, okay? Uh, In the ancient athletic games, they would be given a Stephanos as a reward, especially in the Greco-Roman world. Wreaths could be worn as a sign of a person's rank, achievements, or status. Paul actually said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 25. We've got it. Do you not know that those who run a race shall run, but one who receives, but one who receives the prize? Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one, that reads better, (laughs) but one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable Stephanos. (laughs) To obtain a perishable Stephanos, but we run for an imperishable Stephanos. It's a wreath. It's a prize. Stephanos is worn by champions. It's won. It's worn by, it doesn't mean he's a king or has some kind of authority, okay, or is given to rule. He's given uh, a prize as a champion in the faith. For those who have overcome the world, guys, I think we might be getting somewhere on who this guy is, okay? He went out conquering to conquer. Those are the last words about him. The word conquer comes from the Greek word nikeo, nikeo. That word is used elsewhere in Revelation, by the way, as we've already studied. It's the promise to the overcomers in the letters to the churches. Nikeo is also translated as overcome, not just conquer, but to overcome. So here we have it. Here's in the New King James Transfer uh, tr- uh, uh, translation. Nikeo is conquer. Overcome as nikeo prevail as nikeo, and this you can all check my work on this, guys. This comes from Strong's the Strong's concordance. Okay, the elders tell John not to weep because Jesus has overcome. Jesus has nikeoed. Okay. Then suddenly, as the first seal is loosed and a voice like thunder is un- uttered, John looks and a white horse appears with its rider going out to Nikeo, and to Nikeo, it doesn't necessarily mean death and destruction yet here. He's going out to overcome, okay? He is going out overcoming to overcome. That's what he's doing. So who is he? Why must this man come first? That's another question part of this question, isn't it? Why is he the first to ride in conquering? Why is he the first to ride in overcoming? What did Jesus say about one who was to come first? Do you remember? Matthew chapter 17, verse 10 through 11 reads in his disciples... Asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. This writer, church, could be none other, none other than the prophesied prophet that Malachi of Malachi chapter uh, 4 verse 5 and 6 gave us. He is so powerful that God calls him potentially Elijah the prophet. He is the last stand potentially. If it were not for his appearing, then God would have simply raptured the small faithful remnant and completely destroyed the world for being in such a miserable state. But how does he do things? He does things type and shadow, type and shadow. How he's done them before, he will do them again. The spirit of Elijah Church, we are promised, will be upon the earth in the end times before Christ comes again for his bride and ultimately at the end of the tribulation period. Uh, And we we all as Christians and studyers of the prophecy know that, right? But we have a tendency to think that, no, this must be the Antichrist. And Elijah is obviously one of the two prophets and they kill him halfway through the tribulation. And that's the forerunning of the, I get that. I'm not saying that's not him, okay? But this first rider, guys, (laughs) hear me now, could be, Coming so that God does not have to destroy the world completely and everyone on it completely, as in, as in the days of Noah. So shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Elijah came. Elijah came in the in the form of John the Baptist to prepare the way for Jesus. He readied hearts men's hearts. He readied men's hearts for the message of reconciliation. John brought a message of repentance. Get your heart, see things for what they are, that you are desperate without a savior. Repent of your sins. And then Jesus came with the message of reconciliation, guys. We might be looking here at a type and shadow in Revelation chapter six of John the Baptist. Hmm, just so perhaps to preserve a remnant, not necessarily among the church, but quite possibly among the Jewish people. Malachi chapter 4 verse uh, chapter four, verse 5 and 6, let's read it. Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. When? Well, before Jesus, right? Because we know that Jesus told us that it was John the Baptist. Well, that's not what this says, no before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with the curse. Notice he must come before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. That is, he must come before the great tribulation because the great and dreadful day of the Lord is the tribulation period, guys. So he's got to be here before... Before means what? I think in the Greek it means before. He must begin the restoration process so God doesn't utterly destroy the earth. The Lord says, lest I come and strike the earth with the curse. We just read it. In other words, God is saying, I, I send you Elijah, the prophet, so that I don't have to strike the earth with a curse. Utter destruction. That word in the the greek is cherem the word for curse it's the same word for utter destruction that god used about jericho do you know how bad he destroyed jericho utter destruction utter destruction again one was saved from jericho do we see these type and shadows yet come on now we talked about them on sunday Remnant saved from Sodom and Gomorrah. Remnant saved when their backs were against the, the, the uh, Red Sea. And Pharaoh was coming to enslave all the Israelites again, right? Backs against the wall when it started to rain. The flood of Noah. Joshua chapter six verse 17 reads, "Now the city shall be Cherem." doomed by the lord to destruction it and all who are in it will this be an end time prophet i just pose this to you okay this is what we do this is studying eschatology and being open-minded to uh, to different teachings right Will this be an end-time prophet that will prepare the bride of Christ to be ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb? Is that the first thing that God does? It would be so like him. It would be so like him. As John the Baptist prepared the people to be ready for the Lord at his first coming, is this the same spirit and prophet that will prepare the bride of Christ for his second coming? The rapture of the church. I don't know. The rapture of the church is coming, and it's coming quickly. As I open tonight, we see, we <laughs> see revelation unfolding before our very eyes. Do we have to rewind it to Davos? We see a global government, a global currency, stepping forward, To put down civil liberties. Guys, to put down freedom. The church, the bride of Christ, must be made ready. Must be ready. Must be made beautiful. Doesn't the bride, isn't she made ready before the wedding? Don't you, all you girls, doll up before you go out on date night, right? The bride must be beautiful and ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? So, we'll close here tonight. I'm happy we made good time on getting through all that. You might need to rewind some of it. We moved pretty quick. Are we entering, let's go back to the beginning, our first question. Are we entering the period of history that the Bible speaks of more than any other? Yes, Yes. Are we seeing the seals of revelation being opened yet? Uh, is Elijah here? I, I don't know. Maybe. No. Maybe soon, though. No. Maybe soon. Maybe really soon. Maybe he's here. With every eye closed and every head bowed. I hope you're edified tonight. Hope you're challenged tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it challenges us, that it pushes us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you love us so much, Lord, that you love us right where we are in our limited understanding, Lord. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the empty tomb, Lord Jesus. And more than anything, Father, right now we pray for our leaders in government, Lord, that if they are truly wicked, that you'd bring their hearts to a place of repentance, Lord, that you'd reestablish righteousness in our nation, God. And if this is the spirit of Elijah that is to come back again before your return, we pray that he come now and that he come quickly, God, to overcome the darkness in this world and make ready your bride, God, to preach again the message of the kingdom and salvation and repentance, Lord, to make your bride ready to receive you and open to receive you, Father. That the place of your tent would be expanded, Father, and that more and more would come to know you, put their faith and trust in you and in your word at this end time, God. Because we know that you would have it that none be lost, Lord Jesus, so make us ready, in spirit and truth, in our hearts and minds and understanding, God, we yield to you. And we say, have your way and come quickly, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We pray for your return and we, we celebrate in our hearts and we love your appearing in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. We love you guys. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he pour favor out on your lives. May you go in grace and prosper in all you do. And all God's people said, amen. We love you guys.